What comes to your mind when I say the word bold? Bold, just think, what comes to your mind? Courageous, strong, decisive, outspoken, maybe Starbucks, as in bold French roast coffee, maybe bold laundry detergent, maybe the number 300, as in I bold the perfect game. Sorry, just seeing if everybody's awake. If, if truth be known, I believe most of us would like to be bold and courageous and strong, to be able to stand up on our own two feet and stand up for ourselves and stand up for others. Most of us would probably desire to be liberated, to be more daring. And this is especially true when it comes to our, our faith journey or our experience with God. I've had many people over the years express concern that they seem to lack courage or boldness, especially when it comes to telling others about their faith in Jesus. We can easily talk about Wisconsin, about the Green Bay Packers, the upcoming World Series, the sale at Macy's, the crisis in ISIS, the presidential race, the new baby, the diapering and potty training, the advantages of the new hip or knee replacement, the stock market, home decorating, the latest movie or video game, the new iWatch, the iPhone, college options, or grandchildren, the favorite of all of us. Not yet for me, but it'll be there someday. Boldness is not needed. But boldness for our faith? Forget about it. We will bury that topic of conversation with current events or the weather. So where does one get boldness anyway? Don't you either have it or not? Is it, I'm just an extrovert or an introvert? It, it kind of makes us uncomfortable, and we want comfortable. What is boldness? What does it mean to be bold, and where does boldness come from? Boldness, in the biblical sense, comes from the word parousia. Parousia, which means telling all. means telling all. And according to Lloyd Ogilvy, biblical boldness, by definition, is this. The conviction, communication, and the character of an adventuresome life based on undeniable truth and experience. Truth and experience. Boldness combines, I know because it happened to me, and this is what God says. In other words, it combines experience with Scripture, or experience and truth. Well, one of the most compelling character traits of the first century church was boldness. Boldness. And today we're going to look at unstoppable boldness. I owe some of the outlined ideas to Lloyd Ogilvy, found in his commentary on Acts. But I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to Acts 4. Acts, the fourth chapter. We're going to read paragraphs of this passage as we go through the message today. So we're going to, read, we're going to start by just reading the first four verses. It's on page 885 in the Bible in front of you. 885. Acts 4, 1 through 4. The priests and captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. We're going to look at seven reasons for boldness today. Seven reasons. And we're going to start with, number one, boldness because of the resurrection. Boldness because of the resurrection. The resurrection was the motive. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central truth of Christianity. That Jesus was executed, nobody has ever challenged that. But it was his resurrection that proved he was more than just another martyr. He was actually God. His followers had witnessed Jesus alive after his death, and that provided an incredibly powerful motive to declare this message. And because of the resurrection, the followers of Jesus had a mission, and they had a message. When we see people we know declared dead and they come back to life, that gives you a pretty powerful motive for telling people about it. When we truly believe in the resurrection power of God, we can live the life in the power of God in many, many ways throughout our life. We can, we can deal with our problems, our, our complexities, tough circumstances. When we truly believe in the resurrection, we can rejoice for a loved one or a family member who has passed away, knowing that because Jesus conquered death, they are instantly transported into the presence of Jesus. Jesus conquered death, and the resurrection gives us boldness to live and actually boldness to die. Therefore, we have no fear. Boldness because of the resurrection. Secondly, there's boldness because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the source. The Holy Spirit is the source. Acts, the five, next three verses say, the next day the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, the other men of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or in what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, and we'll go on in that in a minute. The Holy Spirit being the source of the power. Now, in this story, we have two ordinary, uneducated fishermen. Just ordinary guys. Fishing was not the complex business operation it is today. I know in Seattle, we know people who fish up in Seattle and Alaska, and, and it's a very complex business. License and permits and seasons and catch limits and government regulations and fist processors. And there are so many things for them to deal with. Back then, the fishermen had boats and they had nets and they caught fish and they sold fish. Now, I know it's not as easy as it, it looks because catching fish has never been easy for me. But it was not a complex business. It, was, it didn't require an advanced degree. These two men were summoned by the most prestigious, powerful, rich, educated political leadership in the entire nation. It, it, uh, the only thing I can compare it to is like, you're called and summoned to, to testify before Congress. Now, when you watch that on TV, it looks pretty easy, but I can tell you something. It, I can guarantee you it's not easy to testify before Congress. I would have been very intimidated. Peter was not intimidated. It says Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit took possession of his mind, saturated his emotions, moved his will, and energized his body. He was filled with God. He was filled with God. And when you're filled with God and filled with truth, you have boldness. Boldness. The book of Acts speaks of being full of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Actions at one time and punctiliar action are also an ongoing action of being filled with the Spirit. And to be full of the Holy Spirit is when we totally surrender our lives and open ourselves up to be soaked with God and allow Him to overflow to others around us. It's a continuous state of being filled. 
being filled here is a past heiress, passive participle. I know you guys love grammar. I like grammar better than math, but grammar is cool too. What this means is it was an act performed on Peter. It was a passive participle. It was an act. Being filled was an act that God did. It was at a special time for a special need. And that need at this point in time was for boldness, for boldness. And that's what God does in us, filling us for a special need. When we say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit, I need your power in this circumstance. Whether it's coping with a crisis, dealing with the temptation, giving needed boldness for a specific challenge, asking God to fill me with your Holy Spirit. The source of our boldness is not our education or our temperament, emotional intelligence or our theology. The source of our boldness is the Holy Spirit. And let me just say something. Boldness can be in front of public and like you see it sometimes, or it can be as intimate as speaking to a friend that you know. Doesn't need to be big crowds. Boldness is speaking the truth because you've experienced it. Is there anything you are facing that cannot be faced without the Holy Spirit? Is there anything you are attempting that cannot be accomplished without the Holy Spirit? I hope that we are all attempting things for God that are bigger than we can handle. Is there anything in our lives that demands an explanation? How did that happen apart from the power of the Holy Spirit? Are we living in the natural? I've said many times, we've gotten so skilled at doing church that we can do church whether God shows up or not. Are we doing anything that is not in the natural? Are we living in the supernatural? Anytime you pray and expect God to answer, that's living in the supernatural. You're asking God, the God of the universe, to intervene. That's living in the supernatural. We will be filled with the Holy Spirit when we ask. We ask. Filled with boldness and daring to do what could never be done in our own strength, with our own insight. Well, let's move on in our story. Acts 4, verses 9 through 11. Paul says, if we are being called to account today for the act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, and remember the previous chapter, they, they healed this crippled man. That's the miracle. Then know this, you and all people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. This is boldness because of the name, the name. The name of Jesus is our authority. The name of Jesus is our authority. Now, has your authority ever been challenged? Someone is doing something they shouldn't and you tell them to stop and they look at you and they say, who are you? Who are you? In essence, who gives you the authority to tell me what to do? Whether it's two-year-olds or teenagers, it happens to every one of us. What was the question Peter was asked? By what power or what name did you do this? Speaking of healing the lame man. Now for us, name merely means the handle that we were given at birth. I don't know if you wrestled when you had children uh, in naming your children, we did. Uh, our, our youngest, it took us, the, the nurse kept coming into the, 
into the room and saying, I've got to have this name. I've got to get this birth certificate done. You know, we're just kind of wrestling what we're going to do with the name. And for most of us, the name is the handle that we were given when we were born. But in this time and, and age, name meant the nature, personality, authority, and power of a person. So if you were going to speak or act in the name of another, it was to invoke their presence and their power. Who gives you the right? Jesus does. I have authority and power, therefore I am bold. Now, what gives us boldness? What gives us authority? Not some magic word or formulas, nor invoking any name of some sort. It's the name, the person, and the power and authority of Jesus. Let me illustrate. If a group of criminals are surrounded by law enforcement and the guy in the megaphone says, this is the FBI, you are surrounded, okay? What name is invoked? The IRS, no, the FBI, the FBI. The FBI or federal agents or NYPD or whichever, depending on which TV show you watch, just that name. They say, here we are, the name we invoke. Now, what is the name we invoke? We invoke the name of Jesus. That is the name from which we derive our authority and where we get our boldness. If we have a relationship with Jesus. Like with the FBI, I can go somewhere and say, this is the FBI, all I want to, but if I'm not part of the FBI, I have no relationship with the FBI, I don't work for the FBI, I have no authority to say, this is the FBI. I'm then powerless to do anything. Invoking the name of Jesus without a relationship with Jesus, not being in line with Jesus, his will and his authority, it renders us powerless. So this isn't some kind of magic formula, it's being in line and under his authority and saying, in the name of Jesus, carrying out your, his name and his authority and his will. We're going to talk about that later when we get further into Acts. Boldness, authority because of the name. And when we use the name of Jesus, it's very powerful. Then we get to verse 12. Verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Wow. That is an absolutely incredible, heart-stopping statement. It's boldness because of Jesus only. It's only Jesus. Jesus only provides conviction. Conviction. Now, this is the most controversial tenet of truth in Christianity. The fact that Jesus is the only way to God. Salvation is found in no one else, no one else. Now, were the, the followers of Jesus trying to establish an exclusive franchise on God? We are it, okay? No, were they trying to establish timeless patent and reap the benefits? Aren't there many roads to God? Don't all religions lead to the same God? Is Jesus the only way? Come on, come on, be realistic. We live in this pluralistic society, there must be other ways to God. One cannot be a true follower of Jesus, a true follower of Jesus, a biblical Christian, unless we subscribe wholeheartedly to the fact that Jesus is the only way to God. In John 14, the words of Jesus himself. In John 14, he makes a statement, incredible statement. 
and read 6 through 11. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe in me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. One can be a religious person and believe that there are many roads to God, but you cannot be a true Christian, a follower of Jesus. Jesus said that. Strong words. Some people say, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. Hello? What does that say? He claimed to be God. There are immense differences between all other religions in Christianity. And it's important that we as believers understand that. One great illustration I love is, is one that was given by Bill Hybels. Bill Hybels, pastor of Willow Creek Church in Chicago. And he said, our religions or our beliefs can be summed up in two words, do and done, do and done. All other religions are the do, okay? You have to please this God, you have to appease this God, you, you do and you do and you do and do everything you can and of course you never know if you've done enough, you just have to keep doing. Christianity is about the word done, done, meaning that Jesus did what we could not do for ourselves, he died for us and he provided that way, the truth and the life back to God in relationship and that's done. There's do, which is all other religions and there's done. You study other religions and see what they believe about the essential nature of God, the plan of salvation, how we seek God, the results of a life and life who believes, the meaning of life, death, and eternal life or life after death, the accountability of our life, how we live and how it affects the world around us. Look at other religions and compare. At least the conclusion has to be that they are different, very, very different. Christianity alone stands on the death and resurrection of its founder. All the other religious founders are dead. You can go visit their graves. You can go visit their graves. What do we do when we go to Israel if we get a chance? We go visit the empty grave, the empty tomb, because Jesus is alive. There, there's a difference. Christianity alone states that Jesus is the only way to God. And Christianity also stands at odds with humanism. Humanism. Humanism is the belief that mankind is basically good and there's salvation not in religion but what we can do. We will save ourselves. And, and, and the people who grow up and commit crimes and violence had something in their environment that made them that way, the bad experiences, etc. And I don't deny the fact that our environment or upbringing profoundly affects us. But how do you account then for even some of the members of ISIS that are committing horrible atrocities who also grew up in wealthy and privileged families and surroundings? And some who experienced untold trauma and abuse as children who are kind, loving people leading positive, productive lives. Blaming someone else is convenient because there's always somebody else to blame for our bad behavior. 
One man wrote a book, he studied something, his name was Steven Pinker. He wrote a book entitled The Blank Slate. The Blank Slate. Because he's talking about, he's trying to figure out this human behavior thing. And he said, he proposes that we all have genetic roots to our behavior. It's to our nature. Human actions and impulses can be explained by our genetic makeup. And he states, human nature is the problem, and human nature is the solution. We got that half right. Human nature is the problem, but Jesus is the solution. If you take Pinker's conclusion to the next step, genetic to nature, we find that our very nature has a predisposition for evil. And because of that problem, we need something more than human effort that the other religions impose on us. We need a supernatural solution. The Bible says without that solution, we are beyond salvaging. Beyond salvaging. Romans 3 says there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands not one who seeks God, all have turned away, they have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. That's a real clear picture of the true nature of the problem. And far from being a pessimistic outlook, this points to an exclusive solution. Not human nature, but Jesus' sacrifice. That's why, that's why Peter said, there's salvation found in no one else, nothing else, only Jesus Christ. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. His followers said that. Jesus is not an answer. Jesus is the answer. When we believe that, we have boldness. And we believe that. We really believe it in our, in our core being. We have boldness. Lloyd Ogilvy says the reason for the growing demise of institutional Christianity, the church, in this country is that we have lost the Christ-only message. Christ is all or not at all. He alone can save us. One of the interesting asides here, because we discover that millennials have been raised and indoctrinated in something called tolerance. Tolerance at all costs and political correctness. Of course, tolerance says, I don't care what you do. It's not love. Love says, I care very deeply what you do and who you are. Tolerance says, do whatever you want, I don't care. But tolerance and political correctness. And in, Christian Smith wrote a book called Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers, and showed that while many millennials who are committed Christians are open to sharing what they believed in God, they almost universally refused to say that they believed in Jesus. Because Jesus' claim to exclusivity would be offensive to their peers. After all, you can say, I believe in God. It can mean a lot of different things. Everybody, pretty much, 90% of America, yeah, we all kind of believe in God, whatever that is. Jesus means one person, one way. Jesus only. Our boldness must be resident in the fact that we are convinced that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way, period. Do you believe that? Let's move on to verses 13 and 14. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, 
There, there was nothing they could say. Number five reason for boldness, because of a changed life, changed life. Life change is the proof. When something works, we let people know. Peter and John, uneducated, untrained, but they had been with Jesus. Jesus transformed their lives. The lame man's life was transformed. And there are, there are four verbs that describe the Sanhedrin. They saw the courage of Peter and John. They realized they were unschooled and ordinary. They were astonished. And then they took note they had been with Jesus. We had a baptism last week. Alicia, you saw the video in first service. And if you were in second service, you saw the baptism with and the video. Alicia had some family here, and she came from a non-church background. And one of the members of the family came up to me after the service and said, you know, I, um, I don't believe in God and all that stuff, and, and I haven't been, I was raised a long time ago, I've rejected that, and I haven't had anything to do with God for years. But I like what I see in Alicia. Whoa. Life change. She has observed a life change in Alicia. Now, she also said that everything was great in the service until you started talking. But that was, that's something else again. God changes lives and speaks to people through life change. Life change. Has Jesus changed your life? Your life. Would people say to you, he or she spends time with Jesus? Is there anything in our life that can be explained only by our relationship with Jesus? Romans 15 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If, a, if someone remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Do people take note that you have been with Jesus? With Jesus. When we've been with Jesus abiding and remaining in him, we have a life that is transformed. And that transformation gives us boldness. Boldness. There's a scene at the end of the movie, Saving Private Ryan. Ryan is now 70 years old. And he returns to Normandy and he's looking at the grave marker of Captain Miller, the man who died to save him during World War II. In this scene, Ryan is on his knees in front of a grave marker that is a stark white cross. And he addresses Miller, now long dead. And he says this, I've tried every day to live up to what you did for me. I hope I've lived a life worthy of your sacrifice. I hope I've lived a life worthy of your sacrifice. That sacrifice saved his life and changed his life. Did Jesus' death for you change your life in any way? What do you do when you find a stain remover that works? Tell someone. What do you do when you discover a great restaurant? Tell someone. What do you do when you find the perfect car? You tell someone. What do you do when you find an incredible dentist or doctor or chiropractor or massage therapist? You tell someone. What do you do when something or someone has changed your life? You tell someone. 
boldness, a changed life. When we have a changed life, it produces bold. We can't hold it in. It's so dynamic. It's so living. It's new. Now, I know many of you had this life change initially years ago, and it's kind of like taken for granted, kind of worn out. Oh, that you would renew that and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you again, change you again, that you will live on the edge of the supernatural, moving beyond the natural. The sixth reason we find in Acts 4, 15 to 22, we don't have time to read it this morning, but it tells about opposition, people who rise up against them to fight them, to get them to stop. And the sixth reason for boldness is boldness because of opposition. Boldness because of opposition. Increased resistance produces increased determination. Opposition can crystallize our purposes, our goals, can deepen our resolve and strengthen our tenacity. Verses 19 to 20, it says, but Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Obeying God rather than man. We, we may be coming to a point in our country where we're going to have to make those choices. There are some people that have obeyed God rather than man, whether they're, they're bakers, pharmacists. We, I, a good friend of ours is, a, is an attorney that represented the pharmacist in Olympia, Washington, that refused to fulfill the abortion pill as a prescription. They had many, many other pharmacies within half a mile or a mile or whatever, but the government in the state of Washington tried to force them to dispense against their conscience. They were obeying God rather than men. It's happening a lot of places. Someday it may happen to us where we have to choose to obey God rather than men. See, we cannot help speaking what we've seen and heard. No one can argue with your testimony. No one can discount your testimony and experience with God. We'll talk more about resistance in a couple of weeks. And number seven, boldness because of prayer. Boldness because of prayer and increased dependence on God. Verses 23 and on talks about when they got back, they reported to the elders and they raised together a prayer to God. They basically had a prayer meeting. They said, we need to pray. And they talked about, they, they began by exalting God. When we exalt God, you know what happens when we exalt God? When we praise God and exalt him, we begin to understand that he's bigger, greater, stronger than any obstacle or anything. Praising God. Why is it important for us to praise God in service? Why is it important for you to praise God in your own private devotions? Because we all need to praise God for who he is. And then we go, oh, wow, this is the God that loves me, that's in charge of my life. And yeah, I don't have anything to worry about. Praising God. They started with praising God. Prophecy was to recall God's acts in the past, that God is still in control. And then in verse 29 and 30, they petitioned. They prayed for boldness, signs, and wonders. Notice they didn't pray for deliverance. We usually go in where something's happening. We, oh, God, deliver me. No, they just went and praised God and said, give me boldness, give me persistence. Go forward. Talk about an attitude of boldness. Boldness. Boldness doesn't depend on being an extrovert. 
or being an introvert or ambivert, which is combination. It doesn't depend on any of those things. It depends on your relationship with God and being filled with His Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would give us a deep personal hunger for more of you. We acknowledge that we cannot in our own strength. We cannot share our faith, invoke the name of Jesus. We can't declare who you are. We, we're, we're basically timid at heart. But when we're filled with your Holy Spirit, then you, God, are resident in us. I pray, God, that you'll give us a moment-by-moment awareness of that dependence on you. And that, Father, you would make us a people who are bold. And that we would know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you indeed are unstoppable, the unstoppable God. The church began 2,000 years ago or so, started with 12 people, then 120. Soon it spread to the entire world. And I want us to look at this video. You'll see in the far left corner the year when it happened. Powerful demonstration about how the fact, it doesn't matter what the political systems were, it doesn't matter what was happening politically, it doesn't matter what was happening with wars and rumors of wars or anything else. Take a look at this video. And just get a picture of our unstoppable God.